Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. So it's Good Friday. Jesus has died on the cross and they've taken down his body. And now the question is one of burial. What are they going to do? We pick up this story in John chapter 19, starting in verse 38. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was empty, they laid Jesus there. So, Happy Easter. Uh, I'm so glad that you joined us uh, this morning. And as I said earlier, we would love for you to participate with us, to engage with us however you can. So there's going to be a couple times during my message here where I'm going to ask a question and would love for you to respond. You can respond in the comment section right there below, uh, or you can even uh, talk to those that you're with uh, watching this video. Hopefully it's less than 10 people, but you can take that time to do that. Also, towards the end of this, at the end, we'll be we'll be sharing in communion and so again if you haven't had a chance to get those elements do that and then finally the big thing is you need an easter egg i would love for the end of our message for everybody to be holding a a plastic easter egg if you have one i wonder i figured that maybe people would have those around today and so uh, grab one of those and you hold on to that we'll be talking about that later also, for our kids, uh, we're going to throw in the comments right now a, uh, a link to a document that has just kind of an outline for kids and some fill in the blanks and some big points and some of those questions uh, that we want to be sharing. So kids, if you're home watching with your parents, man, here's a great opportunity for you to boss your parents around and make them answer some questions. All right, so it is Easter. Now, Easter is really different this time of year, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm hearing all these all this talk about how there's going to be so many people who are kind of tuning in to Easter this year. Churches can't meet in person. More and more people are checking out online, and it's it's an incredible opportunity. But the thing about what we're doing here is that it's really easy for us just to sit back and watch, right? It's really easy for us to not engage with the story. And so my challenge to you is this. Just as we've been talking about in this series, out of the shadows and into the light, and looking at these characters that are on the edges, the periphery, and as they're coming into the story, I'm asking you to lean into this story. I'm asking you to engage, to find ways for you to engage with this story. Now, this Easter story that we're going to look at this morning includes this guy by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus may not be a name that that rings a bell. He does not play a big role in the specific Easter story, but he's there. Now, this guy is is incredibly important, though, because without Nicodemus, Jesus, after Good Friday, on Good Friday, after he died, he might have ended up in a garbage dump and not an empty tomb. 
So for us, when we think about celebrating Easter and Jesus coming out of the empty tomb, we have Nicodemus to thank for some of those details, for some of the ways in which that happened. Now, first off, who is Nicodemus? Now, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or you have the app open, go ahead and go over to that. But in John chapter 3, verse 1, we learn about Nicodemus, that he is a Pharisee. So there in John chapter 3, we see that Nicodemus is somebody who has authority, he has power. He is like a, a religious council or a legal council that he would oversee trials and, and, and lawsuits and those sorts of things. And for a Pharisee, their number one thing, the thing that they were most known for, was that they were really good at being good. Or maybe better yet, they were really good at making sure or telling other people that they had to be good. See, for the, for the Pharisees, they wanted to please God. And their understanding of things is they had to please God by following the rules. And they were so obsessed with this, they were so wrapped up in this, that they even thought about ways in which they could add rules to make sure they wouldn't offend God. Alright, here's one of those points where I wanted you guys to talk there amongst yourself or throw these in the comments. But think about this. When you were a kid, or if you are a kid, think about this now. What are some of those rules that you have to follow? Let me give you an example. Growing up, there were certain TV shows that were just off limits at my house. I was not able to watch The Simpsons. I know, it's tragic, it's terrible. Can't watch what a great cartoon, but probably not for a little kid. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. If you're watching at home, maybe there are some stories or maybe there's some, some rules that you have to follow, okay? And so maybe you parents, maybe this would be a time for you to tell your kids some of the rules you had growing up. And you could tell your kids how really mean grandma or grandpa were to you, right? But think about that, that we all have rules that we have to follow. And usually these rules are there to keep us safe, right? Or to, to kind of protect us from something, right? The rules are there for our own benefit, even though we may not like them. Well, if my parents had been Pharisees, not only would they say, you can't watch The Simpsons, they would say, you, you can't even turn a TV, the TV on. Because if you're channel surfing, and that was something we did before streaming, we actually go through the channels to look and see what's on. If you were channel surfing and you came across The Simpsons, well, then, then you're breaking the rules. And they may even go further than that. They would say, well, you can't even be in the same room as a TV. You can't even be in the same room as a TV. Now, think about that. Maybe for you at home right now, you've got some rules about what your kids can watch or, or don't watch. Or you got some rules for yourself about what you can or can't watch. Or, or maybe you've got some limits you put on yourself in terms of screen time, right? And, I, and of course, a lot of those things have probably been thrown out the window, justifiably so, in these last few weeks. But for a Pharisee, the rules were everything. See, this is the thing the Pharisees really focused on. And this is a, a kind of a film the blank spot for you kids if you've printed out or you have that sheet in front of you. I think this was really, really crucial for the Pharisees. See, Pharisees were focused on behavior. The only thing that mattered to them was following the rules. But then this Nicodemus, this Pharisee, meets Jesus. Or maybe he doesn't meet him. Maybe he just hears about him and sees him and hears the reputation and maybe hears some of his teachings. And we see how Jesus is not following the rules. See, we might think, well, Jesus was perfect. Of course, he would follow the rules. He didn't follow all the rules, especially to a Pharisee. 
See, the Pharisees had these rules about what you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath, on God's holy day, and they said you couldn't work at all. And so when Jesus would heal somebody, well, that, according to the Pharisees, was work. And so therefore Jesus was breaking God's law. He wasn't behaving right. He would eat. Jesus would eat. He would throw parties. And he would invite the sinners, the really, really bad people, the people that had that terrible reputation. Jesus seemed to be hanging out with them walking a lot. In fact, people would often say that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Or there was these rumors that Jesus was somehow a, a drunkard, a partier. Of course he wasn't, but he hung around people that were. So the Pharisees quickly become kind of a, a, an opposing force, like the enemy of Jesus. Like there's all these little debates and these conversations that go on where we see Jesus having an argument with a Pharisee or another teacher. But John, one of Jesus' closest followers, records a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. So there in John chapter 3, we're going to read here, it's starting in verse 2, you can follow along. He, referring to Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Jesus has this encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming in the middle of the night. He doesn't want people to know that he is talking to this scandalous, very toxic even rabbi. This Jesus who is breaking all of these rules. He wants to stay hidden. He wants to stay in the shadows, right? He wants to stay on the sidelines. But he knows there's something different about this Jesus. He knows that there's got to be something more. So it's interesting that Nicodemus starts with some flattery here. He says, Jesus, I recognize that there's more going on here, right? I'm not going to deny the reality that you're healing people. You're, you're teaching with authority and power. The people are following you. So tell me what's going on. Verse 3, Jesus replies to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now maybe Nicodemus took a little too long to, to respond to this or to, to ask that question. But the question Jesus answers before, Je before Nicodemus can even ask it is simply this. And this is another one of those things you, you kids, you students can fill out. That question, how do I know I'm right with God? And that is, is the question I think we all face, right? When we think about what happens after we die, we think about how we're loved or forgiven, or we think about purpose and what we're supposed to do with life. Ultimately, the question is simply that, how do I know I'm good? How do I know I'm right with God? Now, Nicodemus is coming at this question understanding that for him, it's all about behavior. You keep the rules and you're good. If you do the right thing, you walk the, you know, you're right with the right people and you walk that line, you are good. But Jesus says, you must be born again, which really confuses Nicodemus. Verse 4, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. His head is, spin his head is spinning here. Uh, he's, he's kind of maybe even a little grossed out. I think I am too when I think about the, that image. Like, what does it mean to be born again? Now, Jesus, of course, isn't talking about a physical rebirth. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. That word there, again, that's translated in English as again, could also be translated as from above. 
So there's this notion that we are reborn, we are remade by God. That God does something new in us, and we must go through that process in order to be made right with God. So in essence, Jesus is saying, it's not about behaving. Jesus is saying, it's not about behaving. Jesus is telling them that you can't behave your way into this. That only God can do something to change us. That Jesus is interested in us just keeping the rules. He's introducing us a new way to connect with God. A whole new way that we can know God. We can be right with God. We can interact with God. We can have that kind of relationship. I think deep down we're all kind of looking for, right? We all want deeper meaning. We all want understanding. We all want that truth. Well, Jesus is offering it here, not through behavior. So why is that? Why is it that, as Jesus explains it, that we don't connect with God through our behavior? I think because behavior keeps the focus on ourselves, right? We want to make sure that we do everything right. We want to make sure that everything is just so. Behavior keeps pressure on us. Think about that. We have all this pressure that we can never mess up. That weighs us down. Behavior kind of watches over our shoulders, kind of like that that cop or that, that principal or that teacher that's always kind of looking out for you to mess up. Now, maybe you feel like that, that, that you, it's almost like my kids talk about this at school, like getting clipped down or getting a demerit or whatever, it works, how it works in your school. But the bad choices we've made are kind of punishing us. The relationships that have been screwed up or the, the things that have failed. That God doesn't love us. Maybe you feel like God is disappointed in you because your behavior isn't good. You haven't followed the rules. You haven't been someone who has behaved. And you're worried that God is disappointed. He's angry. I think that's what Nicodemus is going through. Nicodemus is someone who's obsessed with the rules. He knows the rules, and he knows how impossible they are to follow. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus with this whole mess of a life. He's been focused his entire life on behavior, and it's hard to grasp for him what kind of transformation this is, what it would look like. And so there in verse 9, he asks that essential question, how can this be? How can a person be transformed in this way? How can a person be truly born again? So we see this first interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. When Nicodemus first talks to Jesus, he is confused, which is so often the case. When I have my interaction with Jesus, when I read the Gospels, when in my prayer time, I get confused. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this. God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to, me to respond? And in the midst of that confusion, in the midst of that chaos, it's, it's as if God shows up all the more. Because Jesus' next reply doesn't really clarify things for Nicodemus. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
I imagine Nicodemus's head is spinning here. He's trying to make sense of this. He knows that story about Moses and how does this make sense and what does this mean? And maybe Jesus senses, because of course he does, he's Jesus, he senses that Nicodemus is confused, so he follows it up with what is probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, something you're probably familiar with, John chapter 3, verse 16. He follows up that confusing line with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus declares it's not about behaving, it's about believing that according to Jesus, to be right with God is about believing. That is good news. Belief over behaving. Now, belief is a weird thing, right? Belief is something that's hard to quantify or understand. Now, I believe that my family loves me and I love them in turn, right? I, I believe that because I look about how I, I look at how I feel and, and how I treat them. I look at past behavior and what I know to be true that has happened before, and that informs what I think is going to happen in the future. In the same way, we can look at what Jesus has said about Jesus in the Bible. We can look at our interactions with Jesus in our relationship with following him. We can look at those who we trust and that we love, who, what they have said about Jesus. And we can come to this place of belief. You know, this time of our lives is historic, right? For, for the country to essentially shut down and quarantine like this. There's so many concerns. There are so many anxieties that we face. And some of us, and maybe all of us to some extent, are mourning. We are mourning things that we've lost. We're mourning things that we're afraid we'll lose. But I believe, I believe that God is still at work. That God is still putting things back together. That the message of Jesus is that even in those confusing times, even those times where we feel like Jesus tells us something and we say, what do we do with that? What does that mean? Jesus is still at work. So the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus ends and Nicodemus goes back with the other Pharisees and it's interesting because we don't hear much about him after this. It's kind of one of those defining moments for Nicodemus. So maybe this is a good place to have another conversation right there with you. What are some of those defining moments for you, right? With those landmarks, those memories that really stand out. Maybe it's the, the first time you met your eventual best friend. It's your wedding day, the, the, the day your child was born. Maybe it was a day of your childhood where everything was just perfect. Maybe for you, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. It was a real hard time. What are some of those defining memories for you? Because you know in those defining moments, things can change. Maybe you've had one of those defining moments that's been a spiritual experience, where you felt incredibly connected to God. This is what I think Nicodemus is going through. And you'll know that even though you look back and you say, that was such a powerful, defining moment, it wasn't as if everything changed then and there. I bet... He walked away from that midnight meeting with Jesus, excited. I really do think he left excited. But from what we can tell, he didn't really change. Not initially. He remained a Pharisee, and so he remained as there as some of his colleagues and people he served with were bashing Jesus, attacking Jesus, and yes, even plotting to arrest and kill Jesus. 
He might have been there in that, that Good Friday crowd when, when people are shouting for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. If he was there for that, then he was there when they brought Jesus out and they began torturing him and then had him carry that crossbeam to Golgotha, to the place where they were going to crucify him. And perhaps he, he followed along at a distance and, and saw, saw Jesus being nailed being nailed to that cross. I picture it with like railroad spikes. And then Jesus being lifted up, being raised up, where he would slowly suffocate and bleed out. He's there in this horrific moment. And yet, I wonder, I think he had to at some point, things clicked for him. Because so often those defining moments in our life don't make sense until well after the fact. Don't seem important or we don't realize how important they are until after the fact. I think in the same way Nicodemus realizes maybe there at the cross realizes exactly what's going on. And his mind goes back to what we read there in John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 where we read this as to what Jesus said. He says, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, something happens to Nicodemus in that moment. He believes. He believes. And then we read that Nicodemus steps into the story. He leans in. He takes part. He participates. He engages with that. He goes for it. He steps from out of the shadows and into the light. We read, and I read this earlier, from John chapter 19. Where Nicodemus and this other follower of Jesus, this Joseph of Arimathea, they come together, they go to Pilate, and they, they ask for the body. Now, we read that Joseph of Arimathea was kind of a secret believer. We know that Nicodemus was definitely on the fringes. He was not publicly calling himself a follower of Jesus, not publicly calling himself a disciple. And he is in the spot where he goes to Pilate, the political leader. He is outing himself. He is going public with his belief. And they ask Pilate for the body. And Pilate, I think, says, fine, whatever. Let's just get this problem over with. And they find a borrowed tomb. Someone lends them, gives them, gifts them a tomb. And it says that Nicodemus gathers up about 75 pounds worth of spices. A very, very expensive thing in that day. If you're going to bury someone, you're going to honor them, you're going to pay them respect, you you will kind of put spices on the body. It was kind of a, a kind of a last rites, it was kind of a, a a process of grieving. And Nicodemus is determined, this Jesus, who was so wrongfully killed, I gotta make sure he has a good burial. So they get a borrowed tomb. They get the 75 pounds of spices. They wash the body. They wrap the body in linen. And they put Jesus in the tomb. Now, let's say that Jesus wasn't really dead. He was a conscious or something like that. I think Nicodemus would have realized that. Nicodemus was a witness to the dead body of Jesus. Nicodemus was there. If, if in fact, he, he didn't die the way they, the way they embalmed him, would, would have killed him. 75 pounds of spices, all this stuff. This is an involved thing. 
and the other criminals and those who couldn't afford a burial tomb, the two criminals that were executed with Jesus, I think they were thrown into the equivalent of a garbage dump. But because Nicodemus stepped up, Jesus received that borrowed tomb. And so on this Easter morning, we don't celebrate a body that's still buried in a borrowed tomb. We celebrate a risen, alive Jesus. Jesus is alive and he is still in the business of transforming lives, not based on our behavior, but based on our belief. And we don't find anything else about Nicodemus in the Bible. It's, it's interesting. It's, 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 it's these questions of the Bible. Like, what happened to this person? Where do they go from here? And I, I like to think that Nicodemus continued to live his life as a follower of Jesus. But I do know this. That some 2,000 years later, because people like Nicodemus stepped out of the shadows and into the light, the story is different. And we have the story in part because of people like Nicodemus. Easter is different. Easter is different because we celebrate new life. Easter is different this year for all the reasons that are going on outside in our world. Easter is different because of what's going on maybe inside you right now. You know this story or you're hearing it for the first time and it's kind of stirring something in you. You're, you're sensing hope. You're sensing grace and forgiveness. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you have this sense of new life, of being born again. And so today we celebrate Easter. And maybe this morning you've already had an Easter egg hunt. And maybe for you right now, as, as we are talking on this video, maybe this is a time for you and your family to share maybe a memory of what, Chris, what Easter was like for you. I remember as a kid... We would get together, all my family, and there'd be cousins there and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and there would be eggs like this hidden all over the yard. And these eggs would be all over the place, there'd be so many, and we would rush with our baskets to fill up all the eggs. There'd always be some eggs that were left over that my dad would hit with the lawnmower you know, the next day or weeks or months later. And then we would get all those eggs, and we would bring them inside, and we'd start opening up those eggs, Right? We'd dump out the candy in my house or my family. We would do coins in there too. And so you'd jump, dump out the change and, and you'd gather them all up and you'd count what you have and see what you have. Maybe you'd trade with your cousins, right? And then you'd take that empty egg and you, you put it in a pile for next year. But there'd be that moment when you're cleaning up. I always pick up that egg and you shake it. And you see what's in there. People often ask me, what in the world... Does a bunny and Easter eggs have to do with Jesus? Well, it's a long story, but the bottom line is this. Christians for 2,000 years have done an incredible job of taking things that are out there in the culture, things that are going on, twisting and changing and just slightly tweaking things so that it reflects Jesus. So when we have these empty eggs, we put them in a box get them out next year let these empty eggs be a reminder of the empty tomb a borrowed tomb because Good Friday and Holy Saturday are dark dark times in the midst of that grief 
in that chaos, in that confusion, in that hopelessness, hope is about to spring forward. When we open these eggs, just like when that borrowed tomb opened up, what we have is this moment of realization that there's something new going on. There's new life. There's resurrection. And as dark as those two days were, when Jesus was in the tomb, they didn't last. Jesus didn't need a permanent place. He just needed a borrowed tomb. Because Jesus is in the business. Jesus is in the act of making things right, fixing things, of restoring things. And right now, I know in our world, I know in my life, and I suspect in your life, that's exactly what I need. I need the God of the universe to come close and tell me it's not a matter of my behavior. It's not about me following the rules. It's about me saying yes, believing, not proving, not removing all doubt, but believing that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. Believing that Jesus walks out of that tomb, walks out of that tomb to give us new life. And that death doesn't get the final word. That that fear that we all face, the end, as painful as it is, that grief is all too real. That because Jesus walked out of that tomb alive, and that's a promise to all of us that we can do exactly the same. Happy Easter. Let me pray with you. God, we need Easter. We need it every day.